0: Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. Enjoy the message. Well, good day, my friends. It's good to be with you. Um, again, hopefully uh, you were able to make it last night. Just a sweet time enjoying the Lord. But we're going to do it again. Uh, people have asked, you're going to do this again? And uh, we are going to do it again. So uh, we'll keep you posted on that. Make sure if you didn't come to this one. It's like, ah, I don't need to do that worship of the Lord stuff or something like that. If, if that's what you were thinking, try to come to this particular one because you'll love it. So, but anyhow, uh, this morning we are in Matthew chapter 10. So please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. We've been making our way through the book of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible this morning, you need one. We have them available uh, right outside the door. Someone will bring one to you if you need them to. Gabriel, for instance, is bringing one for himself, I assume. But uh, if anyone needs it, he'll gladly share it with you. Uh, Matthew chapter 10. If this is your first time with us, we're so glad you're here. Pray the Lord will bless you uh, during your time. Pray that the Word will minister to your heart and speak to you. Uh, and I w- would say this. If you've been coming for a little while and haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd really like to. So if you could take some time after service just to come up and say hi, that would be great get to know you. And if you're an old regular, you've been coming, not old, but you're a regular who's been coming for a while, I am just so delighted to be able to go through life with you and to share life with you and and how the Lord has brought us together. So looking forward to uh, continuing that. All right, you are there? Chapter 10? I've stalled a little bit to get you some time to get there. Let's uh, begin. Now, the closing words of Matthew 9 are tied directly into chapter 10. That's not always the case sometimes as we move from chapter to chapter. There could be a break of a week or year or some months in time. But in this particular instance, chapter 9 really does move right into chapter 10. So it's important for us to go back and look. Look at the last couple of verses of Matthew 9. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He says, Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest now how many of you were here last week if you could you just show raise your hand if you were here last week last week i gave you a homework assignment related to this verse does anyone know what it was what was it doug it was to pray earnestly to the lord of the harvest to send the laborers okay now confession time how many of you did that you spent some time praying praise the lord thank you very much yes you did very good i see you and i see you too Good. Pray earnestly. The, it's an interesting phrase. Actually, it's it's a pray begging. Beg God that he would send out laborers into the harvest field. And, and so that was your homework assignment. And I certainly hope it would become the habit and the practice of your Christian walk, is that you would become a person that is begging God, particularly that God would raise up those to send out. Now, be careful When Some of the people that were praying this prayer, they themselves were actually sent out. And you really can't, in honesty, pray this prayer unless you yourself are willing to go, if God would call you. But Jesus says, pray earnestly that the Lord would send out laborers into the harvest. And of course, the harvest that he is speaking of is the harvest of souls. Those that are around the world that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they need to know that there is hope. Because the world, whether they know it or not, whether they can articulate it or not, knows that because of its sin that there is a judgment that is coming. And there's no hope for it, so you know what, let's come up with different plans. And we develop all sorts of ways of thinking to kind of mask the reality of the fact that there is a judgment that is coming. We need to bring hope into that. Now you say, me? Me? I'm sure God is a little better at this than I am. You're his plan. You and I, as his children, are his plan to bring the message of hope to a lost and dying world. And he says here in this passage that the harvest is plentiful. In John chapter 4, he says that the fields are white unto harvest. That means that they're ready to go. In, in our lingo, referring to a field, we might say that the fruit is falling off of the vine. And so whether it's fruit or vegetables, it's trees or it's plants that are growing out of the ground, the fruit is there and it is falling off the vine. The problem isn't that there isn't enough work to do. Notice, though, in the passage, the problem is that there isn't enough workers to do the work. And so because of the shortage of labor, fruit that is ready for the picking is falling off the vine and it's going to waste. Now, if we're talking about food, that would be disappointing. That the food would be falling off the vine, lying there on the ground, and eventually spoiling. Because you lose the food, you lose the profit that you could have from selling the food. That would be disappointing if we're talking about food. But we're talking about souls. And Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful. It's white unto uh, harvest. It's ready. It's falling off the vine. And if you will, it's going to waste. And so looking to avoid that tragedy, Jesus instructs us as his disciples... Pray earnestly for laborers to be sent out, as I said, beg God that the fields won't go unharvested, but rather that people would be raised up and go and to minister to those that are ripe for the picking. Now there's a bunch of things that I, I want to questions that are raised in my mind as I consider that. Number one is this, why doesn't Jesus go himself? Why doesn't Jesus just go himself? I'm sure he's much more effective at ministry than any of his disciples would have been. Why not he? just go off on himself and and there's a couple of answers here number one is this when Jesus was here on the earth he could only go so many places so many times he could I could be here and I can't be there that sort of thing and so what he's doing is he's taking his ministry and he's splitting it up and so instead of one guy or one group of people going now six different groups of people are going to be going that's the first reason the second reason is this is because Jesus wouldn't perpetually be here on the earth And so we are, as I said, his plan. And he's modeling that because in the same way he sends out these disciples, he's going to send you and I as well. So that's the first thing that I consider. Why not Jesus just go himself? Because his plan is that you and I would go. The second question is this. Isn't God going to save who God is going to save anyway? Isn't God going to save who God is going to save anyway? Are people that are truly destined for salvation really going to fall off the vine and go to waste? Aren't you being a little bit melodramatic, Greg? Are people really going to fall off the vine and go to, the way, go to waste? Isn't God going to save who God is going to save? And I would say this. My answer to that is, yeah, I, I suppose he is, but that doesn't negate my responsibility as a believer to be obedient to his command, as he says, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. And so certainly we recognize God's sovereignty, but at the same time we acknowledge man's responsibility. And so, yes, God's going to do what God's going to do, but he involves us in the process and commands us to be a part of the process. The book of Romans, Paul said this. He said, how are they to call on him in whom they have believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Election. God choosing man as his own free will man choosing God to be his own Now you look at that and you say well there are two seemingly contradictory ideas now I personally I believe in election but I also believe in free will Now you hear that and you say, well, they don't go together, Greg. One is the opposite of the other. J.I. Packer referred to that as an antinomy. I didn't even know what that word was or how to say it. And that's what the lady said on dictionary.com. An antinomy of ideas, she said. He wrote a book that was entitled Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. And he said this, how should Christians deal with this antinomy of divine sovereignty and human responsibility? How should they deal with it? He says, by saying they should accept it and learn to live with it. Now, he goes on and he says, they should refuse to regard the apparent inconsistency as being real and put down the semblance of contradiction to the deficiency of their own understanding. A lot of big words there essentially is saying this. You should stop believing that the two are mutually exclusive from one another and the fact that you can't understand it, you should bring it back to the fact that, you know what, you're just not smart enough to understand it. And I say that, don't be offended, because I'm not either. That doesn't make sense, God. And yet God says, that's okay. I got it all worked out. Somehow, God causes these two seemingly opposite ideas to work together in the salvation experience. Now, can God knock a guy off his horse and say, you know what, today, from this day forward, you're going to be a follower of mine? Yes, he can. That's the story of the Apostle Paul. But at the same time, don't we see in the Scripture that the more likely pattern is that one friend would go to another friend and say, hey, I have found the Messiah. You should come and see him too, which is the, the story, the example of the apostle Peter. And so you see both of those examples there in the Scripture. And I, I suspect your story is much more like Peter's, that somewhere, someone along the line came to you and said, hey, you know what? You should consider some things that I've been considering. They brought you to church. They shared the gospel with you. Brought you to youth group. Brought you to a Bible study or something like that. And you began to discover who Jesus was. God uses us. We are his plan. And so you have this doctrine of election. You could say the doctrine of sovereignty. And honestly, the doctrine of election and the sovereignty of God, they really speak to us of the wonder of the glory of who God is. But I think there's a danger in those doctrines as well, or something that we need to be on our guard, if you will, with those doctrines. And that is this. It's the potential for us as followers of Christ to respond and conclude well, God's going to do, what God's going to do. And so I don't really have to be involved in the process. If your response to God's sovereignty is to pull back and conclude that God is going to do what God is going to do, then you're being disobedient to the clear command of Scripture where Jesus said to go and make disciples. The fields are white unto harvest, and we are God's plan for the harvesting of those fields. And so Jesus says, pray earnestly that the Lord would raise up and send out laborers into that field. Now that moves us right into our passage today. So this opening, that doesn't count as part of our time. That was just an intro. Our account for today is Matthew chapter 10. And the beginning verses of Matthew chapter 10, Jesus calls to himself 12 disciples and he's going to send them out to do ministry. Let me read the opening words. It says, now he called to him his 12 disciples. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And the names of the 12 are these. And i will go on and i will give those to us. Now Jesus told us to pray earnestly and that's exactly what Jesus himself did. Now we don't have it here but the parallel passage of Luke chapter 6 it tells us that this is what Jesus did the night before. It said, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples, and he chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. So Jesus prayed all night for this group of twelve that he would send out. And we can understand that. Sometimes we have a major decision that we need to make, and so we spend great deals of time. Maybe we spend all night praying about that decision, what we're going to do, and we're just seeking God for wisdom. I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is doing here, seeking God for wisdom, like, which one should I pick? You know, that guy's good. He's got some you know strengths or whatever. I think rather than Jesus kind of praying to figure out who he's going to pick, he's praying for the ones that he has picked. And so he's sort of going through the list of them, and he's thinking, you know what, Peter? Oh, Peter, Lord, he needs some prayers. Let's pray for You, you know, and he, he's kind of laying out Peter. Then he says, oh, and James and John. Oh, boy, the tempers, Lord. Lord, use that somehow for your glory. And he's just kind of praying for them that they would be prepared, if you will, to be sent out. And I, hear, I think of that, and if that's indeed what he was doing, I think, boy, how comforting that is that the Lord would be advocating for us before the throne as we are about to embark into ministry. Isn't that encouraging? To know that the Lord himself is going before the Father advocating for us as we are about to embark on ministry. That's what it seems he does for these guys. And the text says that he calls to himself 12 disciples and it goes on to say that he names them apostles. Now I think the Luke passage maybe explains a little more clearly what's going on here. These weren't Jesus's only disciples. So, you know, there's, he had 12, and they're like, well, I guess you'll have to do, you know, that kind of thing. These weren't his only 12 disciples. Jesus had a n- large number of people that were following him, a big number of people that were following him. And these are 12 that are selected among them. So let me look at the Luke passage. It says in Luke 6:12, it says, And when day came, he called his disciples, and then notice, and chose from them among them, 12 and so of the hundred or so people that were following him, remember, a disciple is a learner. And in that day, what it specifically referred to is a person that kind of apprenticed themselves to a teacher. And they said, you know, what? I'm leaving my job for a little while. I'm leaving my home or whatever. And I'm going to go with this guy. I'm going to travel with this guy. Because what the teacher would do is it would take them through life circumstances, and when they came across a teachable moment, the learner, the disciple, was right there to pick up what that, guy, that teacher was going to put down there. And so you're there with me, and when we have an opportunity to teach, we will do so. And obviously in our day, we can't physically be with Jesus, walking with Jesus here on the earth, so it's going to mean something different for us of what exactly it means to be a disciple. But in that day, and in our day, a disciple is a learner. And Jesus had scores of learners, disciples. This group of 12 were some of those disciples, but these were going to now be sent out. And so they had kind of married themselves to Jesus. They were going where Jesus went. And now Jesus said, you know what, guys? I'm going to send you out to go do ministry for a little while. And they are the sent out ones. And that's what the word apostle means. The word apostle means a sent out one. And so these guys are going to be sent out. Notice the order. First a disciple then a sent out one first a disciple then a sent out one i have folks that say you know i really think god's calling me to, to ministry i think that's great fantastic how's your personal walk with the lord doing how's your devotional walk with the lord doing that's where it has to start because we have to first be a disciple then we can be a sent out one and if you think when i get into the ministry that's when i'll really get down to being a disciple sadly or i'll be honest You don't deserve to be in the ministry. And I I don't say that in the sense of, like, ooh, look at me. I'm saying it is we minister from what God has already ministered to us. And so we must first be disciples, first and foremost, men and women that are learning of him. And then from the overflow of that ministry in our lives, then we go and we minister to others. And so these guys, they're disciples, and now they're going to be sent out And let's go back again to verse 1. Notice, they're going to do the exact same thing that Jesus himself had been doing. Verse 1 again reads, And he called the twelve, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. It's important to note that not only did Jesus call these guys, but he also empowered these guys. Not only did he call them to go do ministry, but as it says there in the verse, he gave them authority to over unclean spirits and to heal and and so on and so forth. It's been said that the calling of God is the enabling of God. God's not going to call you to do something and then leave you on your own to figure it out. God's not going to call you to do something and then leave you on your own to figure it out. Or even to say to you, look, man, we went over this. You should have been there that day in class and taken better notes. I'm not going over it again. He's going to empower you through the process of ministry. He'll never call you to do something that he won't empower you to do. Because if he did, that would be terrible. It would be terrible. That which God calls you to, he will enable you to. And I am so very glad that that is true. Because I'll be honest with you, if that wasn't true, I would do everything in my power and my ability to avoid the call. I'm not going on that call, you nuts. Do you remember when you were in school and your mean teacher decided it was going to be like review day or whatever? And she said, it'll be fun. We'll have like a review game or whatever. And you know, all the smart kids are like, great, I get to show everybody what I got. you know. And all of us regular kids were sort of like, oh, man, this is terrible. And so what do you do? You go up and you hide behind all the other kids or whatever. And you hope that the teacher doesn't see you and never calls your name because you don't know the answer. And I said in the first group here, the test is not for another day. Why would I have studied, you know, or whatever? Like, I'll study tonight, you know, or on the bus in the morning when I'm coming here. And so you hide behind all the other kids. And I think that's what it would be like if, for us if we respond to the call to go out into the harvest field and it was dependent on us. We'd hide. We'd pray desperately. He would send somebody else, somebody else that could figure it out on their own or whatever because we know that we couldn't. And so we praise the Lord. That the calling of God is the enabling of God. Another person said it this way. He said, whom God calls, God equips. And that should give us a great peace as we approach ministry. And I think at the same time, it should cause for us a bit of humility. Because likely, we're going to find ourselves at some point in time in a circumstance that makes us uncomfortable and causes us to look for supernatural supernatural, excuse me, equipping. And that humility and that dependence on God is good because it keeps us looking to him. And so Jesus now, he calls to himself 12. He equips those 12 and will continue to equip them. And then he sends them out. And now we have the names of the 12, starting in verse 2. It says, the names of these apostles are these. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. Now this list of men is given to us four times in the Scripture. It's listed here in Matthew, it's in Mark 3, it's in Luke 6. It's also given to us again in the book of Acts chapter 1, that time only 11 names. Judas Iscariot's name is no longer part of that list because he had betrayed the Lord. And we look at a list of names And I know that a list of names, sometimes we read through it quickly, but I I do think it's important to take notice of who these men are because some of their names are recognizable names. Peter, James, John, Matthew, you know, we know those names. Others of the names we really only know in a negative light. We know Doubting Thomas because, oh, that guy, he doubted the Lord. Can you believe the nerve of him to say what he said, you know? And so we know him in that negative light. I don't think we would know him if he didn't have that circumstance where he said, unless I could put my hands... Uh, you know, in, in the holes of his hands, you know, I'm not going to believe. And we know that story. We know about Judas Iscariot because he betrayed the Lord. We, we might not even know about him if it wasn't for that here. And so we have some you know very well, others you only know in a negative light, but the rest of them, the majority of them, we don't know anything about. We just know that their names are listed here. Philip is never mentioned again in Matthew's Gospel. Bartholomew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaan, they're never mentioned again in the whole Bible. And so that's the first point that I want to make, and that is this Would that be okay with you? And you're like, I don't know. What are we talking about? Would that be okay with you? Would it be okay with you if your ministry would be one of anonymity? Would it be okay with you after doing the same type of work as Peter and James and John and Matthew? that nobody even knew or remembered your name. If I asked you to give me a list, give me a list of the 12 apostles yesterday, before we read it this morning. I have a feeling that most of us in here couldn't get more than six or seven maybe, if we were lucky. All right? But we don't know the names of the other guys. And again, would that be okay with you? That's a challenge for a lot of people because we do want to be recognized. We want to be noticed. We want to draw attention even to ourselves, even as we're trying to serve the Lord. And would it be okay with you if you had an effective ministry and nobody else even knew it? Well, it needs to be. So seek the Lord about it. Second thing that I want you to take notice of is who these people are. Not just their names, but their backgrounds. And so remember, these are the men that Jesus selected to first send out as his messengers. And these are the men that he first sent out to continue his work and even do expand upon, even to expand upon the work that he was doing. These are the men that Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2, that these are the men upon which the foundation of the church is going to be built. This is that group of men. So who are these men? These must be pretty impressive men. They, might ha- they must have some significant credentials. Well, let's take a look at these. Peter, James, Andrew, and John... They are fishermen. Now, a fisherman in that day would get the very basic amount of schooling that they could possibly get, enough that they could get by and make transactions between them and people that were going to buy their product. So, very lowly educated. Bartholomew, we learn in John chapter 1, he was a skeptic of the faith. Simon the Canaanite, he was part of a group that sought to violently overthrow the Roman government. Matthew, his past earned him a reputation of being a liar, a cheat, and a sellout. And then there's Thomas, who we really think we're pretty confident his first name is Doubting. All right, And there's Doubting Thomas. Certainly not what you would expect from the group upon whom the foundation of the church would be built. And so it, is sure, it sure is a good thing, as I said earlier, that not only does the Lord call people, but he equips people as well, right? You understand that? Because look at this crowd that he selected here to bring the gospel to the world. Again, though, we'll, again, let's quote the Apostle Paul. Paul said this, and I think it applies to these guys, and it certainly applies to this room. It says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. I, I said this earlier. I appreciate it. Queen Elizabeth, the the older one, she's like 98 now, a long time ago she said, my favorite letter in the English alphabet is the letter M because that verse there says not many were of noble birth. She said, I'm so glad it doesn't say not any were of noble birth because she was of noble birth and so she's delighted that she could nonetheless still believe. But the passage says not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that, the reason why he did that, is so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He's the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know, when we read, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world. We don't get a lot of amens about that. But that's us. We are the foolish things in the world. We're the not wise things in the world. We're, in some cases, what is low and despised in the world. And yet God chooses to work through us. And by design, in doing so, he's the only one that gets the glory. Is that okay with you? That's the way it's supposed to be, and we delight in that. Now, finally, there's one other thing about this list and, that I appreciate, and that's who the Lord brought together. He brought together people who would have never been brought together for any other reason. And that's, I think, the glory of the church. You know, I was kind com- of commenting earlier for service here, and I think as a society, we have become a very divided and a very polarized society. You know, when I was a school teacher, you could see it in uh, the lunchroom in particular. You know, so you go in the lunchroom, and everyone just sort of shoots to their area. You know what I mean? And you have this kid here, the sports kids here, and the girls with the high hair there, and these kids over here, and so on and so forth. And everybody sort of shoots off into their particular area. We're such a polarized society. You know, you turn on the news. And, you know, we even have news channels. If this is what you think, then you watch this news channel. And you know, don't go to that other one because you'll just get mad, you know. And if you think this, then you go to that particular one over there. And so we, we're just such a polarized society. The church is not supposed to be. And I think that's a testimony to the rest of the world. Because when the rest of the world only hangs out with those that think like them, look like them, act like them, talk like them, and then they see us interacting with people and you're like, Who, how did you get connected with that guy? That blows people's minds the glory now look at the the group that were brought together here it says that we know this i should say jesus was from nazareth right do you remember what bartholomew said about people that were from nazareth he said could anything good come from nazareth and i love the response i I think it was philip he said i don't just come come and see or whatever i I don't want to get an argument about it just come and see and bartholomew was convinced brought those two together simon here he's listed as a canaanian that's a guy that was from cana But in the Gospel of Luke, we know that his little nickname was Simon the Zealot. Now, the Zealots, they were a group of Jews, I think I said it earlier, they wanted to overthrow the Roman government. Now, that's a big task, isn't it? you got all these soldiers with their big swords and their knives and all these things here in armor, and it's going to be kind of hard to overthrow the government. So what do you do? You start where you can. And the place that the Zealots wanted to start overthrowing the Romans was by starting with the sellout Jews that were working for the Romans. And one of those is sitting across the hall from him here, Matthew, the tax collector. And the Lord brought together Simon the zealot and Matthew the sellout Jew and put them together there and said, I'm sure he had one other point. He said, You know what? You're going with Simon. Oh, Lord, I got to wash my back the whole time. This guy's going to kill me or whatever but they ministered together. And so you look at the beauty of who the Lord brought together there, and I think it's a testimony of what God does. And so Jesus, he calls, he equips, and then he sends out these 12 men. Verse 5 continues. It says, now these 12 men Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles. Enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons. He goes on, he says, you received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon you. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or that town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So Jesus' instructions, they begin in verse 5. They're going to continue through the rest of the chapter. All right, So this is sort of that final meeting before we send out the laborers on the road to go do what they're supposed to do. And Jesus is going to give them a bunch of instructions. The first one seems kind of surprising. Why would Jesus say that? He says, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but only go to the house of Israel. Now you hear that in, in our day, we think, but Lord, what about those people? They need to hear it too. Why aren't you going to the Gentiles, Lord? Well, we've said this before, but we remind ourselves again this morning that Jesus' earthly ministry was primarily to the Jews. Now, it would eventually be brought to the Gentiles, and there were times where Jesus himself ministered to the Gentiles. But it was first to be delivered, as it says here, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And it was to them that the disciples were to bring the announcement that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Who was looking for the kingdom of heaven? Well, it was the Jews. And they were to bring the message that the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, had actually arrived. And so Jesus says, go only to those of the house of Israel. And the idea would be, to put in our context, Jesus is saying, go to your neighbors and minister truth and healing to them. And that continues to be the way that the Lord works in our day. His normal order of operation is minister first and foremost to those that are right alongside of you. Minister, first and foremost, to those that are right alongside of you. This is sort of hitting me a little more now because it's starting to get a little nicer out and picking up sticks or whatever, and the neighbors are out again. People are walking their dogs and babies were born in town that I had no idea in my neighborhood or whatever, and so now all those connections with the people passing by are present for me again, and now i got to get past my, I don't feel like talking to anybody kind of stage to, hi, how are you? So glad you're here. Do you know Jesus? You know, this kind of thing. You know, but what I have found about myself is this. It's a whole lot easier for me to be bold and go to the other side of the world and tell people about Jesus than it is to stop and have a conversation with that lady that's walking her dog or something on the street. And I'm not saying every time they come by your house that you got to, you know, you got to attack them or whatever. But, you know, you're talking with them, and they say something like, you know, it just seems that the world is in chaos, and I don't know what I'm going to do with my life, and I'm just so stressed, and I wish there was an answer. And you're wondering, Lord, just give me an open door today. Just give me an open (laughs) door. You know what I mean? There's your open door. Take it. But you don't want to. I find it's a whole lot easier for me to take that open door or even to, like, push the door open a little bit if I'm on the other side of the world than when I am in my own daily life. And I think it has something to do with when I'm over there, if you think I'm an idiot, I'm leaving anyway. And I don't even remember you. You're not going to remember me. No big deal. But when I got to go back to work the next day and talk to that guy that I just had that conversation with, or I got to go back into that donut shop, coffee shop, I don't go to donut shops anymore, it's bad for you, or whatever. But when i got to go back into that shop and talk to that guy again, then it's awkward, and so I try to avoid it altogether. But notice Jesus says, go first to the house of Israel. Go to your neighbors and tell them, notice verse 7, tell them, proclaim to them that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, does that sound familiar? Because that's the same message that John the Baptist preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the same message when Jesus began his earthly ministry, Matthew chapter 4, I think it's verse 17, that's the message he began with, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now it's the message that he gives to his sent ones, that they were to bring the same message that they themselves had received. Paul, the apostle, would say to the believers in Corinth, he said, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. What I also receive. We're not reinventing the wheel when we go to talk with people. We're sharing with them what we ourselves have already received. We're simply delivering to others what has been given to us. Peter would say this in his book, Second Peter. He would say, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, we didn't come up with cleverly devised stories and myths. We're not trying to trick you into the kingdom we're not trying to close a sale or something like that and convince people into the kingdom we are simply presenting that which we have already presented or received i should say and then we leave the results to god and i'll be honest with you may i say i am so grateful that that's the way it works that i'm not responsible so to speak for how many did you reach this week you know how many converts did you get this week Uh, Your numbers are down. You need to do a little better or whatever. My job is just to present it. Let God do what God's going to do. Amen? Would you agree? But I still got to be involved. Right? Amen? A little less that time. (laughs) All right. Verse 8 says, now heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the leper. Cast out demons. Let's stop there for a minute. Heal the sick. Okay, that's pretty cool. Cleanse the lepers. Wow, look at that. Cast out demons. Now you're talking. Now, raise the dead? Could you possibly imagine being used in that way? Healing the sick, pretty impressive. Cleansing the lepers, oh my, look at that. Raising the dead, that's pretty impressive here. The disciples, they had both a message to preach and they had a power to display as Jesus sends them out. Does that continue over into our day? Well, it continued over into the book of Acts and I certainly think it could continue over into our day, is that the normal order of things, you know, that we're on call to go to funerals to kind of write what happened there or whatever. No, it's not the normal order of things. But these signs, these wonders that were happening here, they were a confirmation of the message that the apostles were sharing. We know from the Apostle Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians, he tells us about the Jewish culture and and the Greek culture, and he says, Jews demand a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. And so for the Greeks, they were just impressed by your ability to debate with them and convince them in that regard, and Paul does that in the book of Acts. But these Jews here, it seems that they demanded a sign to confirm the word. And God, in his grace, he meets them at their place of need. And so working through these disciples, he does give them a sign. He gives them many signs, actually. The sick are healed, the lepers are cleansed, demons are cast out, and even the dead are raised. Now imagine if you were being used by God in that way. Some way you had the ability and God was using you and you would come up on the scene and pray for people and they were being healed and they were being uh, raised from the dead and so on. If you were being used in that way, I think that you would probably struggle to begin thinking pretty highly of yourself. Is that a reasonable assumption? That you might struggle with that temptation to think, I'm something. Look at me. I can go places and heal the dead. I also think it wouldn't be hard to imagine that people would begin to think that you were something and that people would begin to seek you out because of your ability to heal and to raise the dead and cast out demons and all of that and perhaps even try to entice you. Hey, come into my house. I'll give you money to come to my house and heal my sick mother or whatever it may be. And perhaps that's part of the reason why Jesus says in verse 8, you received without paying, give without pay. Because honestly, if I could raise the dead, I could make that a pretty lucrative business, couldn't I? <laughs> people would pay anything you know, for me to raise their, their person th- that they love that just passed on. I, I went to the doctors the other day, because I couldn't hear anymore. My, I had some cold or something or another like that. And the lady told me the price of the prescription. And she said, oh, it's really high. I said, lady, I'd give you $1,000 if you could heal me, or you know, whatever. And she said, all right. I said, "Oh no, I no, I was kidding, or whatever. But my point is, I'll pay anything. And you can imagine if people had died and somebody could heal them and, and bring them back to life, they would pay anything. But Jesus says, you received without pay, paying, give without pay. How much did Jesus charge these guys to receive the power to go out and to do these things? The answer is nothing. And so neither were they to charge people for the display of that power. And I think it's very sad in our day how ministry has become a means of financial gain in our day. And it really shouldn't surprise us because it was a means of financial gain in that particular day. It was actually common practice amongst the rabbis of the day to have a going rate for things. You want me to come and pray before your big meal? 50 bucks to do that. You want me to come and pray for your sick mother? 100 bucks for that. You know, how much do you like your mom? 200 bucks for that or whatever. You know, there was a fee for everything. And so these guys they would be getting paid for that. And if indeed their prayers were effective, well, where did the power to do that come from? It comes from God. It was a free gift given to them for God. So Jesus said, look, don't do it. You received without pay, give without pay. Now he continues his instructions. Look in verse nine. He says, Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, your money bags. He says, No bag for your journey, no two tunics, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff. For the laborer deserves his food. A couple things there. Now, someone might say, Lord, if I, if I leave my job, I, I'm a fisherman, that's where I make my income, and I go out, I take two weeks to, you know, go around town doing this thing, how am I going to pay my bills, Lord? You know, and Jesus says, look, don't take any gold, don't take any silver, don't take any cash, don't take an extra this, an extra that. His point is, you're going to have to trust me, and I will provide for you. Now, I'm sure some were thinking, well, how will we provide for ourselves, Lord? And verse 7, essentially, Jesus says, look, I'll work it out. You leave that with me. That'll be my problem. He says, whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in that village and stay there until you depart. Again, the end of verse 9, he says, for the laborer deserves his food. People will provide for you, but you've got to trust that they're going to provide. And some little nice lady, she's going to make a meal, and she's going to feed you like your own kid and say, eat, eat, look at you. You're too skinny. Or whatever. You're like, I can't eat anymore. Remember that lady in Croatia? Who gave us that meal i'm like lady you know and everyone's telling me don't be rude you got to eat everything they put on the table yeah but she put a lot on the table you know what i mean i can't eat anymore or whatever but they will provide being in ministry and and i want to talk about this from the perspective of that's your full-time job now believe me every one of us we are full-time ministers of jesus christ and so when I when I say full-time ministry, I'm talking about someone that that's sort of what they do with their day all day, and that's how they make their in, their living and, and provide for their family, and so on. Being in ministry in any form requires a step of faith. And if you wait until everything is perfectly in order, and it makes perfect financial sense, and I've... Uh, accounted for all of the possibilities that are out there. And what if this happens and what if that happens? Well, no big deal because I got all the money there in the bank and I'll be good and everything will be great. If you wait until everything is financially perfect, then you will never step out because you will never have enough copper or gold or silver to accommodate every possible scenario and you'll never have enough tunics or sandals or staffs or everything that you're going to need kind of to live life. At some point in time or another, you're going to need to step out in faith. And the disciples now are going to be forced to learn that lesson here. So that when they sort of stand there and say, okay, Lord, we're ready to go. And he said, oh, you're not ready. I see you got an extra money bag there. I see you got two staffs and an extra tunic there. Leave that here. Get out there, and you're going to learn that I will provide for you. And so these guys, they're going to be forced to learn how to trust, to learn that they would need to trust that God was going to provide. Now, Notice Jesus, as I said, he says in verse 10, the laborer deserves his food. He knows, the Lord knows that truth, that they're going to have to eat. And so he's going to provide for them so that they can kind of do this ministry unhindered by having to go off to work each morning or whatever it may be. Their responsibility would be to trust him. Now I want to point out another thing, a quick thing. Jesus says, for the laborer deserves his food. The laborer, the worker. If you're going to get into ministry because you think that would be kind of fun or that would be like, oh, that would be great, I'll just work Sundays, you know, and I know some of those churches they do Wednesdays too, but I have all the other days off and I could just relax and, and all this kind of stuff. If you think that's what ministry is or that you think it's a good gig, as I heard one seminary student once say, if you think that is the case, and it's probably not the profession for you, it's hard work and it should be hard work. You should be as tired as everybody else that gets up and goes to work on a daily basis by the ministry that you do. And if it seems like it's coasting along, well, then do some more ministry. It's a privilege. Now, a third point about ministry that Jesus is teaching his disciples is that those that minister need to learn how to be content with what the Lord provides. Notice again, Jesus says in verse 11, and stay there until you depart, referring to go into a village, stay at a house, and stay there until you depart. The disciples were going to have to learn that the Lord would provide for their needs, but he may not necessarily provide every one of their wants. He would provide for their needs, but he may not necessarily provide for every one of their, their wants. And their job wasn't to sort of keep looking around for something better to come along. And so I'm staying at your house, and you know, it's a pull-out bed in the back room, and you know, the computer's off on the side in there, and this will do. But I I did see that there's that really wealthy lady that comes to church, and I know she's got like a whole extra wing of her house with its own bathroom in there. Maybe I'll go hang out with her for a little while and see if she'll invite me over or something. Jesus said, no, stay where you are. Don't keep looking for something better to come along. Learn to be content with where God has placed you and thank him for the provision that he has provided for you. Don't keep looking for something better to come along. Contentment, that's hard especially when it's out there. And if none of us had anything, eh, we we'd all in misery together. But if it's out there and I say, oh, wow, look at that. That well, looks pretty nice. I'd like to have that. That's hard, right? All right, well, thank you, Luke. Now the Lord continues his instructions. Verse 12, Jesus says, And enter, when you enter a house, greet it. Accept it. Be thankful for it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If not, let it return unto you. Notice these next words. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, he says, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah for that town. Content yourself with what the Lord has provided, and if your message is rejected, shake it off, is what he says. Don't get mad. Don't get angry. Don't get vengeful that these people didn't listen to you, but shake it off. He says, shake the dust off your feet. Now, they knew what he was talking about. That's what the Jews would do. They would come to, if they had to pass through a Gentile territory, when they came to the, the border, so to speak, they would dust the dust off their feet because they didn't want those filthy Gentile dirt, you know, to come into their holy land or whatever. That's the idea. You come to the edge of the town, shake the dust off your feet. But I don't think Jesus is saying, you know what, you show them how much you despise them. And when you get to the end, fine. You don't want to hear my message, dust of my feet, or whatever, this kind of thing. I don't think that's what he's saying here. He's saying shake the dust off your feet, shake it off. Don't get all angry about it. Move on and continue to the next place of ministry. You know, sometimes we take it personally. When people don't receive what it is that we want to do in their life, we want to share with them the good news. We want to love them. I don't need any help. I don't want to hear your Jesus or whatever. And, you know, we're all ticked off. Fine, go to hell then, if that's what you want to do. You know, we get all mad at them or something like that. Don't get mad at them. Shake it off. Move on. Say, you know what, Lord, just keep working on their hearts. Use me as a seed, right? Paul talks about that. I think it's Paul. He said, some plants on water, and the Lord himself brings the increase. You know, let me be the one that just watered today and minister to them. If you're going to let anything happen to you, instead of getting vengeful and angry with them, instead let it break your heart. And I think that's perhaps why Jesus says it would be more bearable on the day of judgment for them than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. Let it break your heart that here's a person that is standing in the way, if you will, of God's judgment. And let that move you to continue to pray for And I get mad at him. Well, anyhow, Jesus is giving instructions. Now, he'll, con- he'll continue to do that all the way to verse 42 instructions for these ministers and if we are going to uh, do it any justice we're going to need more time than we have this morning so we're going to stop here uh, in our study of Matthew chapter 10 and we'll, we'll pick up with these instructions as we come next week okay does that sound fair all right we'll join together again next week would you please stand we're going to pray together and and finish our time in worship if I could just say this sometimes we might look at this and think well He's never going to call me to be an apostle or pastor or, you know, some full-time minister or something like that. And certainly it can apply there. But I think it can apply to all of us as Christians in hearing the voice of the Lord and being sent out. And I would just encourage you, seek the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want to speak to me through this? Okay, would you do that? But I'm also going to pray that the Lord would send out some people from this room. The fields are white on the harvest, and they need full-time laborers, people to go and plant churches, people to be missionaries, people to go on the college campuses and so on. And so right now I'm going to pray that the Lord would do that in some people's hearts in this room, and I hope he does. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, for this word, Lord. Lord, I am just very much encouraged, and I think we are together as a group, Lord, that you don't leave us to ourselves, that we're not on our own here, in these efforts we don't have to be super wise or super smart or skilled or come up with all sorts of techniques but Lord we can simply bring to others what you have already given to us and we can present that to them and leave the rest with you Lord we know that the labor the fields are white into harvest that the uh, fruit is indeed ready to be plucked It's falling off the vine and so father we pray for opportunities and courage to take those opportunities. To be faithful, Lord, when you open a door. Well, I even think, Lord, to have a little courage to push open the cracked door a little wider so that we can enter in. Father, I pray for those in this room that have been thinking about ministry full-time. And for one way or another, they've been sort of rationalizing, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, what if this, what if that? Lord, I pray right now that you would Give them the gift of faith, Lord, that you would increase their faith. Lord, that in boldness that they would step out and they'd say, all right, Lord, here I am, use me. And Lord, that you would bless that step of faith abundantly. Use them in a great way. Lord, give us hearts for those that are lost. Lord, move in our hearts, not so that we'd have to be instructed to pray earnestly, but that it would come out of the natural cry of our hearts. That you would send out laborers and that you would ultimately reach people. So, Lord, collectively here we say, Lord, use us. We're going to touch a lot of lives this week, Lord, as we go our different directions. And we pray this week that you would use us, Lord, for good in those lives. And we pray our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. If you would like more information about the church, its ministries, its worship services, or its small groups, please visit ccmercer.com or download the church app to your phone.